Remember the first time you saw a race car on an open trailer? Maybe it was full of dirt, tire marks, and other battle scars. You wondered where it had been, and more importantly, where it was going next. Every open trailer has a story, and we're here to tell it. Welcome to the Open Trailer Podcast. Stage number two of Lomer Pelletier on Open Trailer Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Austin, and along with Pete Silva, we'll dig deeper into Lomer's story. A story which includes the fact that Pete might not have even become Pete Silva if it weren't for Lomer. That's an incredible story. Now, Lomer was the first dragster to go into the May Motorsports Hall of Fame a couple of years back. It was a monumental night for a couple of different reasons, and Lomer gets into what that meant to him. Also... Lomer's going to give you a ride in the Instigator and possibly a hundred bucks, but you probably won't get it. We'll, we'll dig into that. This podcast is a product of Main Vintage Race Car Association. For just $2 a month, you can subscribe to us and help us preserve the history of racing in the state of Maine. You can also assist this podcast by becoming a Patreon member at patreon.com slash open trailer podcast. That's patreon.com slash open trailer podcast for $5 a month. It really helps make this sing as far as purchasing the equipment, securing marketing, and just overall travel. 100% of the funds go right back into it so this podcast can go even further we've had a ton of support this year you are the sponsors this podcast doesn't have a traditional sponsor that's not because we don't want one it's just it hasn't come together but for now patreon.com slash open trailer podcast let's get to it stage number two of lumber pelletier pete silva is going to lead off here with a pretty interesting question buckle up it's open trailer podcast enjoy Lomo, how come you didn't go into new car dealerships? It seems like you're, you know, your business is building, you're helping people out, and um, you know, if you're a businessman, the money seems to be in Toyota and Chevrolet. We're not talking Fords yet, because I know you don't like Fords. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but what is it? What is it? Why did you always stay a pre-owned vehicle? Well, the only way I can answer that is, how much money do you need? Hmm. How much money do you need? Your family comes first. Uh, I just didn't want that. I was happy with what I was doing. I have the same help that I have today, 49 years. Wow. 49 years, yeah. I just wanted to touch on what he just said there, you know, how much do you need and doing what he did so he'd have time to do other things. I don't, he traveled with us to Martinsville. We could go to Unity, he'd haul our race car if we needed a haul. He took us to Wiscasset. Many times we went to Martinsville as a group of people. The NASCAR North Tour, Thunder Road, Catamount. And and back to his reasoning for doing it at the level he did it at is to be able to do those things. And I think the whole neighborhood, listening to him talk now and thinking about it, we all benefited from him having that attitude and not going on to another level in the car business, I think. Pete, where would you be without Lomar in your life? Well, when I finally decided, got to the point where I could build a race car, that Chevelle he showed you the picture of, if Loma hadn't helped with parts and pieces, it would have never got built. Him and Lloyd Corson. 
Right. Another good guy. Yeah. Dickie Dow chipped in. He was working at the mill, but he had a burner business on the side, but it was Pelletier Auto Sales on the Fender Lloyds and, and Dickies. And throughout the years, he's always done things to help. So recap where that Chevelle places in your racing career. Second week I raced it, I won my first race. Hmm. So there might not be a Pete Silva, another Hall of Famer, New England Hall of Famer, Maine Hall of Famer, races up and down the East Coast, championships on you know some of the most historic tracks in Maine uh, and you know, on the East Coast in North Carolina, uh, without you. Well, he had the fire. Hmm. He had the fire. What did you see in Pete that you also saw in his father, George? He worked on his own stuff. He worked on his own guys. Yeah, and that to me, for a person... You know, you watch NASCAR today, these guys fly in, they got motorhomes, they sit in the car and they drive it. In Maine, I don't know about anywhere else, and I've known a lot of the warriors from Beach Ridge, they work on their own car. That's the fire. Hold on, that's a great answer. I just didn't know where that noise came from. That's my uh, clock. Oh, stool okay. clock. <laughs> that's cool. That's drag racing noise. Oh, drag racing noise. Let's get back into some drag racing, too. I mean, um, you know, we spent we spend a lot of time on, on talking about Lomer the person and the businessman and the family man. Where does, I mean, I see snowmobiles, I see motorcycles. You would race anything at any time, wouldn't you? If it had a motor on, I was there. Talk about some of your snowmobile experiences. I saw snowmobiles back in 65. I had the first snowmobile that hit the area. And of course, you just can't leave it alone. You got to tear it apart, make it go faster. They were one cylinders. And enough of us guys got together and we started the racetrack. We, round circle racetrack, we'd race. On ice? No, no. snow. Snow. Oh, no, was this on land? Because I know, like, I've done a lot of ice races. No, no, this is on land. Like, uh, yep. right. there was a place in Clinton, a clubhouse in Clinton. We used their place, uh, you know, and raced there. Scowhegan Fairgrounds and Bingham. I, I think the snow stuff Loma's talking about was before the ice, the frozen rivers yeah, and lakes. Yeah, I yeah, think. yeah, yeah. I think this was yeah. the early stuff. Yeah, and it got so that I was winning those races that guys would come up to me and want me to do their, build their sleds for them. Right, I would. So, you know, so then I stopped driving and just built the sleds for them. So you became sort of the uh, the go-to mechanic when it came to the... Yeah. How long we, that last? Oh God, 20 years. Wow. It had to be 20 years, yeah. yeah. We, I had personally, uh, I had seven kids and we had seven sleds. Yeah, and all you had your own class. And all the neighbor's kids had the sleds. I mean, they would take my daughter and her friends, and they'd take the sleds and break my house and just leave and go for the day. Wow. Yeah. And then, because motorcycles, uh, back in 1965, I got into the Triumph motorcycle business. Uh, I started selling those. How did you get into the motorcycles? As I a... always rode bike. Yeah. I got my license on a 41 Harley Davidson motorcycle. I drove at, back then you had to have somebody with you when you went and get your license to prove that you could drive the bike and follow you. So I didn't have anybody back then and I had that 41 Harley, which I put Chevrolet Pistons in because they fit. But anyhow, I went to get my license and the instructor comes out and he says, well, how'd you get here? 
I said, I rode that bike. And <laughs> you ever seen a 41 Harley? Uh, <laughs> and he looks at me, he said, well, did somebody bring you here? I said, no, I drove the bike here. He said, you know, that's, that's not legal. I said, right. yeah. I said, but I couldn't find anybody to come. He shook his head, gave me my license. He said, if you could make it here on that bike, you can drive. <laughs> Pete's so, father and I used to drive motorcycles all the time. Yeah. BSA and Triumph. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's... Yeah. And I got good at making those go. I'm <laughs> Pete. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I got good at making those go. So I was I didn't have any problems selling them, but I had to I had to work on the motors and the transmissions before the guys would take them. So you're a Triumph guy, you have Pelletier auto sales, we're sticking to pre-owns, you have the motorcycles, you have the snowmobiles. What's a typical and you have seven kids. Well you had, and you adopted a child as well, from what I understand. Yeah, we yeah, we've done that stuff. So we just we had another one here. Uh, I think he's 20, how old is Ryan? 20 something now? 30. 30, yeah, we, I took him when he was five. He was 30. But when we, when my kids were young, the neighbors didn't have any money. They were poor, poor neighbors. And one of them had two daughters. So when I bought seven bikes, I bought nine bikes. When I dressed seven kids for school, I dressed nine kids for school. Right, Laurie? Absolutely. That's, mm -hmm. you know. And the neighbors next door, same way. Everybody was poor. Well, money is money. I mean, it, right. but that's... Yeah, I can remember when George had the blue moon. Yeah. It was the same thing in that neighborhood. You guys kind of mirrored each other a little yeah. bit there. He'd buy, he'd go to Martin's when it started and buy all oh. the shoes. Oh, yeah. He'd just give them out to everybody in the neighborhood. Because yeah. everybody, like Laurie just said, everybody was poor in oh, yeah. our end of town. Yeah. Many, a, many a time we bought people food so they could eat. I mean, George's father, I mean, Pete's father, George, nobody really knows how generous that man was, really. He would, he would do things and wouldn't take any credit, and he'd do it and have somebody else deliver it so that he, no, you know, he just, but that's the way it was back well, then. Neither one of you took credit for that. No, no, that's, that's the way it was. And that's what made George and I good, such good friends. When you were out there, you were racing the best of the best. I mean, who were some of the bonds that you made? What were some of the bonds that you made when you were at Unity? Clint Fowler was number one. Clint Fowler was one of the nicest guys you could race against. Uh, Albert Robinson, I sponsored him. Uh, I furnished his tires. Uh, he's the one that really helped me set up my car tell me what I was doing wrong. Uh, the Hudson. Blackie Hill. Blackie Hill. Blackie, yeah. Blackie another great guy, you know. Dave Davo, all them guys, I raced against them guys. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't in their league. Mm -hmm. I was just out there, I was a fill-in guy. But. What was it about drag racing that, that you took to, well, much more than say circle track? I was good at it. <laughs> <laughs> was it about the tree? Was it about being able to, was it reflexes? Because yeah. for someone who has only been to maybe about a handful of drag uh, events in my lifetime, you know, to me it's, it's very primitive. You just mash the gash and you go. Oh. Obviously that's not it. No. Uh, what are what are three keys to being a successful dragster? Suspension. Make sure your car is strong. Uh, third key is just. I'd say I'd say your reaction has to be a big yeah, part of it. Yeah, still is. To this day, I'm, I'm like I say at eighty four and three quarters. I I won. Uh, do you plan to win at eighty five? Yeah, something is left out of the story here in Loma helping people. He has a certain amount of friends. He lets drive those cars now too to get the experience at Winterport every weekend. Yeah, 
Let's talk about that. I don't mind jumping around a little bit. This is more of a, a story than it is chronological. Once and for all, where does the instigator come from? <laughs> That's a good story. Uh, I bought my first Camaro from a fellow that was a drag racer. I just bought the body. And he had the name Hall Nass on the back fender. So I went to, I built it and went to Winterport with the car and I won. And I won every week. So one day, the owner of the track says to me, he says, because uh, I, was, I was making more runs than anybody else was, and he won, and I was giving the boys that lined you up, I was giving them a beer so they could let me make more runs than anybody else. Oh, all right. Oh, yeah. yeah. So anyhow, the owner comes up to me one day, and he says, Loma, he says, you got to stop instigating trouble at this track. <laughs> so the following week, Yes. I came back with that car with instigator on it. Hauling ass gone. Hauling ass gone, yep. instigator. Great yep. story. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good, one. good story. Yeah. So yeah. you have the instigator and uh, you also have the instigator two. When does the instigator two come into play? Probably, uh, probably about five years. No, about four years later, my boys rolling up to drive. They were driving the Tweety Bird and then I said, well, I'm, it's time for me to build me a new car, so I'll get give the boys the original car. Hmm. And we went up with that, and we were both winning. The boys were winning, I was winning. And there again, the owner comes up one day and he says, well, we don't have enough cars in super stock. Can you get out of that class and go into a super sport class, super stock class? And I said, sure, no problem. Take two carburetors on, put one on instead of two. Well, we went up that way then the following week, and I'll be damned if the boys didn't win with the one four-barrel carburetor. So then they started protesting that we didn't have a back seat in the car. We had a full cage, right? And they complained because we had, didn't have a back seat, you know? But they've always, I've always had two cars, yeah. What's the difference between the two? One has got a three, three small block stroker motor. It has 400 Haas. My car that I drive is a 440, it's a 427 board out 60. Uh, it's 440 cube, and it puts out about 575 to 600 hus. Do you have a dyno that you test that on here? No, it's all, all by ear. I do everything by ear. What? I don't even use a timing light. That's amazing. Yeah. I've old never, I mean, I've heard old, of it. That's what you call old school. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I, read my, I read my spark plugs. For my jets, hmm. yeah, and I time my motors by ear. Speaking of spark plugs, you have an interesting Pete Silva story when he was your employee. Oh God, I hired Pete when he was in high school. Come work for me, just do odd stuff. So one day he was, he was mechanically talented a little bit. So one day I had a '57 Chevrolet, and I said, Pete, go over and change the spark plugs in that '57 Chevy. Well, he broke four out of eight. <laughs> in the motor and we had to take the motor out take the heads off 
to fix it. Do you remember that day? No, I think this is where we start editing right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So behind me is uh, is another Camaro. Um, do you perform with this? Do you race with this, or is this just for fun? This is just for fun. Tell me about the motor in this car, because I'm fascinated by how you fit the thing in there. Well, it's got a 502 crate motor, big block, 502 cubic inches, 502 horse. How do you know? Ear. Crate motor, you buy Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, the crate motors. And anyhow, everybody told me I couldn't put it in a 69 Camaro without cutting out the firewall. So I made the frame for it, made a frame for it, and mm. I took the motor and, and frame out of it seven times so I got what I wanted without cutting the firewall, and it works. Looks, uh, It looks awesome, yeah, by the way. It's, it's, it's a four-speed car. It's got Beautiful. a nine-inch Ford. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Oxford. We haven't talked about Oxford Dragway yeah. too much at all. Um, some of your experiences there. I mean, championships. I mean, uh, 1973 championship. Yeah, there's and, another one up on the wall up there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Is that big one up there? I mean, obviously, you're the instigator. You're the guy that people are worried about when they come to the dragway. Who were some of your peers at this point? There was a guy, Jim Cook, that I bought his car. I bought his body. Hmm. Uh, always him and uh, John Rines, a fellow by the name of John Rines, both top-notch racers. When I first started racing, I wasn't in their league. I started in the lower classes. And I won like seven in a row. And the track said, well, you won too many, so we're gonna put you in another class. So I went in the other class, and I won five in a row in that. So then I went with the big boys. And it was tough. I didn't win as many with them boys. But I always won my classes. What made them good? What makes a great, I mean, we talked about what makes a great dragger, dragster. Money. 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 So it's just like circles, just like any type of motorsports. Yeah, they uh, had the money. Money buys your speed. They had the money and I was racing on what I had. Pete will tell you, coming in my garage, there'd probably be about 30 used motors, all in pieces, and I'd take the best piston, the best rod, the best bearing, and build my motors. One of our uh, guests in season one, Lake Goodwin Hannaford, you and him have oh, yeah. um, a bit of lineage there, and, and yeah. you worked with him or, or would work um, with what he wasn't using? He, I would buy some of the parts because he would put new stuff, he'd build his new motors. Mm -hmm. Very good at it, excellent in fact. And I'd buy some of the old parts, and we drag raced against each other at Oxford. He used to drag race, yeah. Uh, and I'd use those parts. What was the camaraderie back then uh, compared to oh, what it is today? To you've oh. seen everything now. You've seen, oh, yeah. you know, drag. So you've seen Unity in the '50s. Uh, you remember fairgrounds racing in the '40s. You, you know, you're still winning in your '80s. Yeah. Uh, how have how's the camaraderie between competitors changed over the years? It's just as bad. It's not in my class. I race now because I I race with gasser guys. So it's not as bad, mm. you know. We get some young fellows who join us, and of course, in young blood, they gotta win, they gotta win, you know? Can you recognize their fire? Oh, yeah. In your, oh, yeah. from where, oh, yeah. when you started? Yeah, and when I let people drive my car, I mean, it's, and I give rides. Mm. I give rides to people, I mean, it's just, it's fun. Yeah, that's the part that I, I wanted to come back to, is, you know, giving, um, 
I mean, they get to. So, did they ride the Instigator two or the original? Both guys, really? Yeah, I put seats in both of them. I got. I, I rode with them. Yeah, Pete rode with mine. It's they're six second guys, you know. With uh, a rider. With a rider, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my daughter rides with me. Yeah. What's that like? When we went racing as when I was a child, I always thought it was this biggest thrill. I just. I'm like my father, I have a passion for vehicles and I love racing. And going back 40 years later, the first time I went, I said to myself, this is just the biggest thrill as it was when I was a child. It's still, it still gives you that excitement. Yeah. <laughs> I used to put a $100 bill on the dash of my car and I'd give people rides. And I drove a four-speed car, by the way. And I'd give people the opportunity, if they could get the $100 bill before I got in high gear, they could keep it. Mm -hmm. I never lost $100. Right, Pete? <laughs> I can remember when I rode with you, when the uh, main motorsports mobile museum came up. Yeah. And first thing you said to me, we were on the starting line, did you ever think we would be riding in a car with an automatic in it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When we were growing up, there wasn't any such thing in a no. race car of any kind. No, it was all four when, speeds. When did that change over in drive? Four speed? Yeah. Uh, I took the four speed out about, uh, I'm going to say, six years ago. Is that pretty commonplace among dragsters now? Everybody runs an automatic now. The power glide transmission is so good that you just you just sit there and when the tack comes up, you, when you've got to shift, you just tap the handle. I mean, it's rather than shifting four times, you're only tapping it once, you know. Hmm. A lot of technology going on there. Oh, now. it's, it's they, amazing. I think it, they yeah. do a lot of the work the driver probably used to have to do. Oh, nothing. It's no fun anymore. Yeah. It's not fun anymore. It's, it's over. I mean, you just sit there, you put it in, you just slap that lever once and... and you sit there. In the circle track world, you know, with Beach Ridge closing and some of the other tracks having some uh, struggles there, are certainly success stories like Wiscasset and Star and, and, and whatnot. Um, you know, we, we, we talk about not necessarily an end game when it comes to circle track racing, but we see some of its challenges. When it comes to drag racing, what do you see for challenges moving forward? Drag racing is strong. It's uh, it's like everything else. It's it's strong. Are you familiar with what's been going on with New England Dragway this past winter? Yes, I am. Uh, what are you, from an insider, someone who's seen it all, what, what, what are some of your thoughts on what's been going on with that over the last month? You know they turned down the... Yes, I was just trying to see from the very beginning yeah. on, I mean, everybody, so to a layman like myself, who, who only has been to New England Dragway a few times, I'm like, wow, that's great. But then again, sometimes there's more to the story if you ask an expert like yourself. Well, Beach Ridge is probably the number one famous track in Maine hmm. and New Hampshire, I would say. Uh, I don't know how many people got to start racing there that went big time or raced everywhere else. Uh, there again, when it was owned by one man, it was okay. Hmm. But from what I understand today, and I don't know this to be true, but from what I understand today, here we go again. One or two people want to sell. Mm -hmm. Why? Of oh, the board, yeah. Yeah, why? Hmm. Money. That's it. Yeah, oh, they want to. Yeah, there wanna... you go. Yeah. That's, that's what I mean. That's what my whole life is based on. How much money do you need to live? and enjoy your life. 
So what do you foresee in the future when it comes to that situation? Is this something where there was an offer that was made and the board turned it down, but you believe there'll be more in the next couple of years? Or do you think this is a kind of a stake where they said, all right, we're done. This is going to be a drag strip for X amount of time. Like it kind of fought off the wolves. They, since the Gasser guys have been there, they've updated that place is unbelievable hot top resurfaced I mean they've, they've done so much stuff there and you know it's just they basically brought it back to life and pardon me uh, for being being the rookie here gasser guys gas powered cars uh, it's anything from 64 back okay like the Camaros in the other room like this yeah, actually, yeah. oh gas yeah. okay okay yeah. so I was thinking yeah. of the fuel gasser itself. guys you can't run let's say a 76 automobile Mm -hmm. so, you know, that's... That makes sense. Too new. Mm -hmm. When we started drag racing, Gasser guys, when I started again, when they opened up the Gasser guys, it was flag style, just like the old days. There was a flag man out there between both cars. Well, up to about five years ago, that got too dangerous. The cars are so fast today, and everybody picks up the wheels now, and if you pick up your wheels, sometimes you don't go straight. Mm -hmm. So, I see you picking up the wheels on a few. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but so they went to a one light. Mm -hmm. There's a tree, a Christmas tree. I can't remember five or six bulbs, but only one bulb comes on now. So your reaction's got to be on the money. Yeah. It's a win or lose at this. The cars are so competitive. We run on a, like, we run on a, like a 602 or 62. Let's say you can, you can in between, you can run a 6-0 to 6-2. If you run a 6-3, you're, you're way out of the ballpark. Wow. If you run a 5-9 on a 6-0, you broke out. So it's all made at the starting line. Fine yeah. line. Fine line, yeah. It's all made on the starting line. Yeah. Do you have any uh, Jack Doyle stories? When I, in back in 63, 4, 5, I ran a speed shop. I was the guy to go for speed bots and stuff. And I would make a trip to New England Speed on Commonwealth Avenue in Boston and get my pots. You know, I'd get a list of stuff that the guys wanted and stuff. And we were racing Sanford then. And he and a couple other guys said, well, why don't we build a track, start a track? And... That's how I met him. Mm. So then when New England Speed, when New England Speed started, because Sanford was out. So I raced there, and I, it was a good organization. I mean, it was a great place. Yeah, tell me, well, you know, we're basically a Maine-based podcast, and, and Sanford Speedway had, had come up and, and had kind of a, a tragic ending to it. Uh, but Sanford Dragway, in a completely different location, uh, had a lot of success. Oh, yeah. We... This fellow by the name of George McDonald, he was a uh, court stenographer for the Superior Court. And <clears throat> yeah, he was driving a new vet, 61 vet. And he wanted to drag race. We were drag racing on the streets. Mm. And he wanted to go drag racing. So I don't know how it happened, but he rented Winterport, I mean, Norridgewalk Nar Airport on a Sunday. And we'd race there. Then he got the idea he could go south. So he went to Sanford and rented the Sanford Airport, which ran the opposite Sundays. So one Sunday it was Winterport, next Sunday it was, I mean, Winterport, Norwich Walk, and the next Sunday it was Sanford. And how many of the same competitors did you see at both? Oh, all same. Really? So yeah. you're like a traveling circus? Oh, yeah, yeah. If you drag race, you love racing, 
Mm. This distance didn't mean nothing to you. No. Yeah. No. So you become the first drag racer in the Maine Motorsports Hall of Fame a couple of years ago. That was a magnif- That was the first time that you and I had a chance to uh, to meet each other. It was a magnificent evening. You had so much support uh, for someone who has given so much to others throughout their life. What did that night mean to you? Because you had the biggest crowd there. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't. I couldn't speak. As you know, I couldn't speak. Uh, I had a five-page to read, and I couldn't read it. No. But to Was see it? all my friends and all the people that. I've known over the years to come there to support me was unbelievable. Yeah, you know it's one thing you do stuff for other people, and you don't expect nothing back. You know you do it because you want to do it. But when you see the people that showed up, words can't words can't answer that. I'm sorry. Is it one of those things where you go through your life and you do what you do, you don't realize what you're doing when you're doing it, and then all of a sudden, one day, boom, it's right in your face, and you're like, this is what I've done, this is my impact. Really overwhelming. Yeah, the people that came there I have nothing to do with racing. Hmm. They, they've never been to a race. They just came for me. We're talking about a person that's done everything he's done, accomplishments, family for friends and other families. With the main, being an inductee of the main motorsports Hall of Fame, it's never ever one day been on the radar. Then all of a sudden, it's a reality. And now your life, now you, you almost like your life flashes before you and realizing what got you here. Hmm. I, think you, I think you see that emotion right now of all of that. There's so many people out there that deserve to be in, in the Hall of Fame, you know, and to pick me. And like, I didn't realize till I was on that podium that my name would be involved when I'm gone. Forever. It never came, it never came to mind before that. That's there in stone. Yeah, you know, it's like doing this this deal. I mean, it's forever. It's here. Yeah, and important. Yeah. Lomer, can yeah. you go win some races for us next year? Big Biden. Can you go win some races for us next year? Next year. Yeah. Two thousand twenty-two. Yeah. What are your plans? Instigate. Same thing he's been doing for eighty-five. Years. I. <laughs> I have a routine, my daughter will tell you, I have a routine. When I get to the racetrack, I go an hour early and I walk and I talk to every person that's there. That's my routine. Competitor? Yes, competitors. I go to everyone, right, Lori? I walk there to say hello. Everybody's friends and friendly and you get along and visit. We took the Maine Motorsports Mobile Museum up to Winterport a couple of years ago, yeah. and it was one of the most well-received events that we have been a part of. What's the community like up at Winterport these days? I mean, you've got Jerry Hatch. Yes. One of the greatest guys in the world, one of the best drivers I've ever seen. And there's so many people like him there. Who can speak I wish that yeah. you people would come once a year. 
Yeah, we do too. We yeah. just don't have the time. I know you have a busy yeah. schedule, stuff yeah. like that. Hopefully, as more keep getting inducted, like Jerry Hatch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jerry's going to Jerry's going to be a good representative. By the way, I, I know you were nervous when you got up there, but your speech was as good as anybody's. But I think as we keep putting people in, mm-hmm. I, hopefully the momentum will build. Yeah. Yeah. What I've always said is is you know on, even on the broadcasting side, whether it's racing, whether anything, you you can't. You can't just put your flag on the moon and expect people to go to the moon. Right. Yeah, you gotta you gotta go to where the people are. Well, Lomer, it's been. Um, is there anything that I'm missing here? I mean, we have a really nice story. No, we covered it a lot. I think the only thing that we didn't really talk about is how many main motorsport Hall of Fame members had Pelletier Auto Sales on the side of their cars, and that must have been close to eight or nine. Fifteen. Sponsored 15 cars, but are 15 in the Hall of Fame? No, no. I think One, there's almost two, three. this. Yeah, Jerry Burns, Stan, Stan, myself, my father, Butch, Butch Burgess. What yeah. was your first impression of Stan Meserve? Stan Meserve? Mm. He loved cars. Mm. He loved going fast. Uh, when Stan finally decided to go NAS- NASCAR, I flew him with him. I, I flew to Chicago, Illinois, and went to Hammond, Indiana. And uh, I can't remember what the outfit was. Anyhow, we we went there for the stock car. You remember the what car was? you bought the Charger? Yeah, the car that was bought in Charger. I went with him in 1967, 66. So, and I've hauled Stan, Catamount. Uh, what's the other one up there? Thunder Road. Thunder Road. Thunder Road. Canada. I, we went to we went to uh, Beach Ridge. He won there that Saturday night. We drove to the to uh, Portland Port, loaded a boat, my motorhome, yeah. Yeah. went to Andy Kadish, Canada, where he won two features. Wow. Yeah. Now, Jimmy Burns, Jimmy Burns. Uh, <laughs> Why do we start laughing when we talk about Jimmy Burns all the time? Yeah. Jimmy Burns went to Bangor. He was up Bangor racing, and uh, he was out in the heat. And his gas, his uh, carburetor flooded up. And he, was, he wasn't very good at carburetors. Well, anyhow, I had my car up there, and of course I had a holly on it. So I went out in the out in the yard and I got my carburetor and I put on his car and he won the feature. So you know, but yeah, we've had a lot of fun with Jimmy. <laughs> uh, I think as a group we had a lot of fun over the years. I oh think. God! Looking uh, back, it's something to really appreciate. and yeah. Feel lucky about. I was with Jimmy when he was snowmobiling and he broke his jaw. That was a bad accident. Yeah, he was wired. His jaw was wired for six, seven, eight months when it beat. You could only drink soup. For us, wasn't it? <laughs> That's one thing that I wanted to touch on, too. Thanks for uh, piquing my interest on that. I'm amazed that you're 85 years old. To me, if I met you, you would be 57, 60 years old. Well, thank you. And you look incredible for your age. You're, you're winning races. You're at the top of your game. Um, I know you, you don't have a fountain of youth around here, but what keeps you young? Working every day. Because you weren't always like this. This felt. I mean, you went. There was a. There was something that happened in the '80s, for example. Well, my bones started falling apart, so I've had quite a few joint replacements. Oh, so you're a bionic man? Well, I've got. <laughs> I've got <laughs> much. Yeah. Two shoulders, uh, two knees. Mm-hmm. 
What's your uh, just what's your diet like? Do you eat a lot of fruit, a lot of vegetables, or I eat vegetables. I eat any meal. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not. I eat anything. I mean, it's basically. Uh, I wished I could drink again, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an alcoholic, mm-hmm. and I haven't had a drink in forty years. Nice. Yeah. I haven't had one in four. 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 Good for you, Andy. Yeah. Good for you. No. Yeah. Hmm. Four. You said four. four. Um, Ninety-one. So that's what thirty. Yeah. Yeah. I could drink with the best of them. <laughs> when we do a podcast for a private party, I'll give you some Loma drinking stuff. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah, I've had a good life, Andy. I'm I'm very happy with my life. I look back at what I've done. Uh, I don't think I'd change anything. I think that uh, I've succeeded in everything I wanted to succeed in, you know. I think my children love me. Uh, My girlfriend is good to me. In fact, I don't know why she's so good to me, but she is. And I'm a happy man. Yeah. There it is. Closing. I am. Unless you have something else. Yes, I'm I'm glad you did this. I hope you're glad you did it. You did a hell of a job. Well, thank you. Yep. I'm proud I was part of it. But just one question. After all these years, you ever feel bad for all the times you cussed me out? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Nope. <laughs> you know, I was never mu- I was yeah. never launched for words, Andy. Yeah. <laughs> Lomer Pelletier, such a gentleman, and obviously grateful and aware of everything that has come his way in in this life. I want to thank Lomer and his daughter, not to mention Pete Silva, for making this whole thing come together. It was a fun afternoon up there in Sydney. Much like last season, we're trekking all over the state of Maine. And next time out, we head to Oxford for a guy who has seen it all and has an interesting way of telling it all. Big disruption. Are we talking about Busty? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I didn't, I had never heard of Busty Hot. But I'm down in the infield, running the infield track just before the driver's meeting, just before we get ready to act, do the actual race. Mm. And the crowd is going absolutely bazonkers up there. What the hell is going on? Well, Bob knew what was going on. I didn't. So Bob gets on the phone and he calls Walker upstairs. He says, you page her and get her up there and you tell them press guys to not stop taking pictures until we get this driver's meeting done. (laughs) (laughs) The legend himself, the one and only Jerry Major on the next episode of Open Trailer Podcast. Catch you soon.